Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Did anybody read Revelation chapter 6 this week? Yeah, I hope some of you gave it a shot. Um, Revelation chapter 6 and then Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 through 5 is the territory we're spending time in today. So brace yourself, pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it spoke very clearly to the church alive 2,000 years ago. And it speaks clearly to us today. So we welcome the sound of your voice to us in this moment right here in the Comox Valley today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said? Amen. Amen. I just want to remind you as we continue in the book of Revelation here, um, it's so important to approach the word of God with an immense amount of curiosity. You need to be curious, number one, about what God is speaking to you But for us to understand what he's speaking to us, we have to understand and have a curiosity about how was he using this to speak to the original people who received it in letter form or whatever form it came to them, you know, 2,000 or more years ago. So if we want to know what scripture means for us today, we have to understand what it meant before. And there's sometimes a little bit of work that goes into it, but we're grateful. I am indebted to the work of others that have put in great time and effort and great research into understanding context 2,000 years ago for Revelation and other parts of Scripture as well. I was just reading devotionally the book of Philemon yesterday, and I just thought this really was a great illustration of why it's important to understand what it meant so that we can understand what it means. Um, Let me read for you verse 7 in Philemon. It says this, your love, Paul speaking to Philemon, um, who was a homeowner, he was wealthy enough to um, have servants that worked in his household, and uh, he, was a, he was a follower of Jesus. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And as I was reading this devotionally, I just thought I'm going to look into a little bit of some of the original language stuff in, that was going on in this little, little letter from Paul, and it's fascinating. This verse in the original Greek would actually read like this, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the bowels of the saints. And then in verse 20, uh, it would read like this as well. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in Christ. Now imagine if your scriptures actually read it that way to you. You know, as you were reading, you were thinking, okay. I, I guess I'm due for a bowel refreshment. I... But it's helpful to know what it meant so that we understand what it means, right? And in the ancient world, um, the bowels were thought to be the seat of the most passionate feelings and emotions. And you can only imagine why they might assume that. But in our day and age, we think that we would say our heart, right? And so that's why in uh, modern translations, we've gone ahead, translators, to realize most of us in the Western world would be thoroughly confused and discouraged by a refreshment in the bowels. But having our hearts refreshed makes a lot more sense. And so we understand how it speaks to us today. Amen? Amen. Okay. 
so we approach Revelation the same way, where it's helpful to understand what original context meant, historically what was going on, so that we can understand what it meant to them originally, thereby discern how is God speaking to us today through the same word and message. So we begin approaching some very interesting territory in the book of Revelation. The first um, five chapters of Revelation that we've spent our time in so far um, are maybe some of the more popular ones as well as the last two chapters in Revelation. Um, If you've read through Revelation devotionally before the first five, maybe there's like, okay, I'm kind of grasping some of this. But once you hit sex, I was about to say sex, sorry kids. Um, Once you hit six through 20, six through 20, that's where the wheels can fall off and you can begin to feel uh, the opposite of refreshed in your bowels, I suppose. But you, you're just like, oh, I don't know what to make. There's dragons now showing up, beasts now showing up, there's horses showing up, there's seals, there's trumpets, there's bowls. Where is this going? What does this mean? And there is something that lives in chapter 6 through 20 that was clear and understandable to the first churches that received this letter 2,000 years ago. And it's our hope over the next little while as we begin moving into this stretch important part and section of the book for us to gain a similar understanding uh, of what the message was. I apologize in advance. At some points in this section, we will be sort of flying at 30,000 feet over the text. Sometimes we'll feel tempted as if, like, let's get right down into the the details and the weeds of it. Um, But it's helpful for us to have the 30,000 foot view. So even today, While our text for today is the whole of chapter 6 and then the first five verses of chapter 8, we're only going to dip into reading little pieces of it because I feel it's even more important for you today to have tools that help you when you read Revelation. So yes, I'm going to help unpack some things, but more than anything, I really want to help you to leave with a sense of awareness and some tools that you can approach the rest of Revelation with. While many people, and yes, even preachers, may leave Revelation at chapter 6 or feel lost or confused or begin to get very misdirected, we don't have to be intimidated by this stretch of the book if we can keep seven foundational reminders in mind. Seven foundational reminders in mind. So I'm going to try to buzz through these as quick as I can, but they are very important. So be sure to sort of grasp the importance of them. The first is this, the purpose factor. And for many of you, this is review. For those of you who are the first time with us in this series, let me present to you just sort of a summary point of view on the purpose of Revelation. Why was it written? Revelation was written so that followers of Jesus who are facing the pressures of culture and the gods of their age could see what is actually going on behind the scenes so that they could see who the Lord and Savior of the world really is and settle once and for all who their allegiance, their trust, and their worship belongs to. That mattered immensely to the original seven churches scattered around what's now Turkey that first received this letter, this message from God through the writings of John. And it matters immensely to us today too, doesn't it? So first, we must remember and have in mind the purpose factor. Secondly, the human factor. And I touched on this a little bit uh, two weeks ago, and I want to do that again right now so that we have this in mind. It's actually important for us to have this factor in mind as we approach some of the texts that we're getting into today. 
Drawing from a series we did earlier this year in the book of Revelation, I want to remind, or book of Genesis, I want to remind you that God designed people with purpose. Three things in particular. Number one, to be his unique image bearers. Number two, to receive and multiply his blessing to fill the earth. And third, this is where it's very important for us and some of what we're thinking through today, to have dominion over his creation. God wanted to enter into a partnership with people to rule his creation. And God's intended order looked like this. If we read it in Genesis, we realize God wanted to rule in love over people, in loving relationship with people, so that people could rule in loving relationship with creation over creation. God committed himself from the very beginning to ruling creation in relationship with people. That's why in Revelation chapter 5, everyone in heaven and on earth is looking for anyone who might be worthy to open the seals on that mysterious scroll. Because God was committed to working with people. Was there any person who walked out life in purity? Was there any person who had not added to the spoil of creation? Was there any person who had totally decided, I am not going to walk in any form of independence. I will solely, always, only walk in dependence. And no one in heaven and earth could be found. But then, the lamb, behold the lamb, he has triumphed. He even laid down his life for others. And this was the person, God himself in human flesh, who is worthy to open the seals. God has committed himself through, to ruling creation through people, and that continues to be an important factor. So we have the purpose factor, the human factor. Third, the Satan factor. The Satan factor. Also, um, earlier this year, in the book of Genesis, we studied the first 11 chapters together, and there was a week given to the reality of the serpent in the garden. Very early in scripture, we're introduced to this idea, this reality, that there is spiritual interference in our world, Satan. So from Genesis, some of you who are in this series might remember some of these thoughts and points that came up in this message. The serpent, or Satan, raises questions against God. We see that in his interaction with Adam and Eve. The Satan also, the serpent, introduces twists to God's word and to our thoughts. And you know what? You and I would face the same thing today. Did God really say? Or you've known what it's like in your own life to have a certain thought begin to grow in a distorted direction in your mind. The enemy always seeks to interfere. The enemy from Genesis, we also learned, seeks to present an alternative source. You see, humans in the garden were trusting and walking dependently in relationship with God the Father. And the serpent came along, you know, suggesting other ideas and alternatives, really hoping for them to detach from dependency upon God as source. And if the serpent was true and they were going to follow the way of the serpent, who now were they trusting? Who now were they following? Who now was their source? They were walking in the way of the serpent, weren't they? Jesus has plenty to say as well about Satan. He says this in the book of John. The, the, uh, the, uh, the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, we find out quite a bit as well about Satan. In the book of Revelation, Satan is present. He is defeated by the Lamb who triumphed, but he's resistant. 
and he will be dealt with. As we go through the book, we'll discover, ah, he will finally and fully be dealt with. So it is important for us to have this in mind. And again, I bring you back to the God's intended order was for him to rule in loving relationship with humanity over humanity, who would rule in loving relationship with creation over creation. And so the issue of partnership mattered massively in Genesis because as long as humanity used their choice and their ability to use their freedom to remain in relationship with God, then humanity, the rulers of the earth, were in partnership with God and his influence would fill their lives and fill the world. But when they shifted their partnership from God to the serpent, now there's a different kind of partnership going on. And the influence and the interruption and the interference of the enemy impacts humanity and impacts our relationship with creation. Agree? In fact, uh, one of the young couples that have come to faith in our church in the last year and a half or so, when we were going through the book of Genesis earlier this year, uh, the wife in this relationship, she came to me after the service and she said, thank you so much for talking about the serpent. She said, to be honest, it was that reality that caught our attention and made us want to find what's really going on in the world. They had no Christian background whatsoever. They didn't have a biblical narrative to work with. All they had was just living out life and they're like, man, it seems like our world keeps getting worse and the kind of evil that's going on while we can point to how humanity is very involved with evil and wickedness, it seems, just seems too obvious that there's something behind the scenes trying to puppet humanity at times that's the source of evil and wickedness. What is it? What's going on? And so even for this new believer coming to faith, a significant part of their journey was realizing there, there is an evil out there, and if there is, there's got to be a source of good and love. And that's how they came to discover God through Jesus Christ. So we have to keep in mind the Satan factor. Thirdly, we have to keep in mind the apocalyptic factor. And by way of review, again, just for those of you who might be newer with us, the book of Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature. It was an ancient genre of literature. It was very vivid. Let me say a few things about it. The word apocalypse is not about disaster or end. In our modern language, we kind of think it is. But in the ancient realm in which it was written, it never was. It was about unveiling, revealing something. And apocalyptic literature always included exaggerated and embellished symbolism. And its vividness was intentional so that it could make its message or its story very memorable. In the first week of our series in Revelation, way back in June, I mentioned this and I need to mention this again. The revelation, therefore, because it's in an apocalyptic genre, this is important. The revelation does not always progress in chronological order. Sometimes some of us get tempted to miss the point of revelation, roll up our sleeves all the way up as high as they can go. We lose some oxygen in the way and we get right down into the weeds of revelation trying to chart everything so that we can somehow figure out the future. And that was never the intention of the book. Because apocalyptic literature is not trying to figure out the timeline and the sequence of absolutely everything. It's presenting things from various points of view, different angles to repeat messages and important themes for its hearers to capture. When you think of apocalyptic literature and the book of Revelation, I want you to think about how music is written, not how words are written. Bless you. 
I think that was a trumpet sound. Music, <laughs> not words. Words, when writing words, they must appear in sequence, right? When you write words, they must appear in sequence. When you write music, you can write several lines that all occur at the same time. And apocalyptic literature can function that way. Again, we're tempted because we're reading it to assume, okay, this must all be happening in a particular sequence and order. But I want you to think, if you've looked at sheet music before, it's all, all the musical notes are stacked on top of each other, several lines at a time, and they move forward all simultaneously happening together in the same moment. Think that way as we approach Revelation, and specifically now as we go into chapters 6 through 20. Fifth thing. Did I tell you how many factors? I did. There were seven, right? Yeah, good. Fifth, the bracket factor. The bracket factor. There seems to be an important thing that John, under the influence of the Spirit, has written into the book of Revelation in its introduction and in its conclusion that we're meant to be aware of. This is a significant part of the message of the book of Revelation, and it actually has big impact in what we look at today. What do we see? In Revelation 1, 7... It says this, behold, he is coming. And it's not on the list that you see right now, but in verse 8, the next verse, it's speaking of Jesus, and it says this, or Jesus is actually speaking. He is the one who is, or who was, who is and is to come. So in the introduction of Revelation, we find out twice, Jesus is coming. And in Revelation 22, what do we find three times? Behold, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Again, he repeats himself. And then in verse 20, yes, I am coming. And it's very important to understand that the way in which it's written is not this sort of I am coming one day. Wait for it. Although we understand he will fully come one day. It's very much... I am in the process of coming right now. Me and my kingdom are bearing influence in an increasing way upon this earth now. Is that clear? Jesus was doing that 2,000 years ago. He's still doing it today. We await his arrival and culmination of all things, an end which will be a new beginning, a new creation. We await that. But it doesn't mean that all the... The arrival of his kingdom is saved for just then. It's begun already. He is already coming. He doesn't say one day I will come. He says I am coming. I'm in the process already. Imagine him on the throne up, getting up and beginning to move towards earth. And here is now the rumblings of his arrival. The effects of his movement towards earth. So that's the bracket factor. Sixth, the time factor. Again, this might connect a little bit to the apocalyptic one, but it's worth reminding you. There are things happening in the book of Revelation that are past, present, and future. There is things that we read of in Revelation that was happening in John's day. And as we take an honest assessment around our world today, we realize that same kind of thing is happening right now. And it will continue to happen until Jesus finally does fully return in the great culmination. So Revelation includes a strong now theme. It was now for the people 2,000 years ago. It's now for us today. And it will continue to be now until the culmination of all things. 
when we approach, as we do in the texts today and moving forward, things like the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, if we don't have this sort of time factor in mind, we might think, okay, there's these seven seals, so that must be sequence, 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 and then we should expect that this is going to happen, seven of that, and then seven of this. Remember music? Not Not writing words, writing music. It's almost, you know how the Gospels are four different views of the same person, Jesus? These three sets of sevens, in a way, you will begin to observe that, oh, it's as if they are a different angle of the same kind of things occurring in our world right now. We see it from this way, the perspective of the bulls. We see it from this way, the perspective of the trumpets. And we see it from this way, the perspective of seals. Seventh factor, the chapter four and five factor. Chapter 4 and 5, as we've said for the last three weeks, are massively important as we move into the rest of the text in front of us. They're a set of glasses that we're intended to put on that help us to see reality around us from heaven's perspective. And that reality includes this idea that there is a throne. Despite how out of control our world may feel and be at times, there is a throne. There is someone on it. And there is a lamb. Behold the lamb. And the lamb has triumphed. And I need to remind you, this, this must be, this, I hope that you'll hold on to this. Chapter 6 is not like this new, uh, you know, that we've entered into a new volume within Revelation and, okay, now there's a whole other bunch of things going on. You have to remain in chapter 5 as you go through 6 through 20. We're still in the throne room. The Lamb is opening the seals. It's in that same moment that everything that happens within 6 through 20 are occurring. 6 through 20 are a continuation of 4 and 5. Okay. Seven factors. Hold on to them. You're going to read Revelation 6 in your own time. You're going to read 7 and 8 and other things all the way through 20 and beyond. Keep these things in mind. Let's turn to chapter 6. We're going to read some of what we find in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is now, remember the Lamb has taken the scroll. Seven seals are on it. And the lamb alone who has triumphed is worthy to open the seals. So what begins happening as the lamb opens the seals? Let's listen to this. Verse 1. I watched. John is saying, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures. And this is to remind us, we're still in Revelation 4 and 5. Those four living creatures, remember they had the four different heads. They're very powerful types of beings. And they each represent the most powerful types of God's creation. There's four of them. In the book of Revelation, whenever we find four, it almost always has something to do with creation itself. The four winds, the four creatures, it's creation. These are the mightiest of God's creatures. And what happens One of the four living creatures said in a voice like thunder, come. What did he say? What what might be important for us to remember at this juncture? We just talked about it in one of the seven. There was one of the factors. Can anybody remember? Where do we hear this word elsewhere in Revelation? The brackets, right? The bracket factor. What's going on at the beginning of Revelation? Jesus is coming. What's happening at the end of Revelation? Jesus is coming. And so when these four living creatures, as we find out, each 
say, come. They're not inviting one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They are joining in the groan of creation and humanity that the lamb would come to earth and change all the disasters that are occurring here and renew all things. Their heart is for the lamb to come, for his kingdom to come. And I wonder if you share in that sentiment still today. Our world continues to swirl around in difficulty and disaster and problem of all kind. And we need the lamb and his kingdom to fully and to finally come and make all things right. Amen? What do we find as we go into the next verse? I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown. He rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now some might read into that quickly and think, oh, Jesus is showing up. Uh, And they may even point to Revelation 19 where we see a very vivid description of Jesus. But this one lives in contrast to that one. Jesus doesn't bring about conquest in a wrathy way upon earth as we see in this text here. It seems that this white horse rider is an imposter. Someone who sort of appears as if it was like a Jesus kind of figure, like a savior kind of figure, like a Lord kind of figure. But what do they bring upon the earth? Conquest. It's difficult. It's harsh. Then we learn of a second seal being opened by the lamb. And what comes next? A a fiery red horse. And what happens with the fiery red horse? Let's look very quickly. I heard the second living creature say, come to the lamb. And another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Violence. War. As a result. Third. Seal is opened. And a black horse appears. I heard the third living creature say come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. What is this a picture of? Oppression. How do we see that in here? The scales are supposed to be in balance to represent justice, but they're imbalanced. How do we see that? There's measurements given about foods. It would be like saying a loaf of bread and four liters of milk for a day's wages. If that was occurring in our world right now, and I know there is food inflation costs that all of us are feeling, but if it got that extreme, it would seem, well, how can anybody live, you know, a day's wages just for a loaf of bread and four, you know, milk, four liters of milk? And, and then what is it followed by? Don't touch the oil and the wine. So the price on the oil and the wine hasn't changed. Those who are wealthy and can afford it, they're living comfortably. The systems of the world are lopsided in favor of the wealthy, and it's punishing those who are in poverty. It's a picture of injustice, where people use their power and their wealth to make the poor poorer and the wealthier wealthier. You know, as we go through this, conquest, violence and war, oppression... Was that going on 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome? Absolutely. Do we see it in our world today? Absolutely. Fourth, there was a pale horse that 
moved into the scene. Fourth living creature cried, come, and then into the scene came this pale horse, and it represents death. What happens in the face of the pursuit of conquest around the world through violence and with oppression, it always and only results in more and more and more death. Fifth seal is open. And what do we discover? There are souls under the altar in heaven. And we prayed for the persecuted church today. Pastor Clay read some statistics about even just in this past year how many have died. We discover in this story and how history is sort of being laid out for humanity through these seals, martyrdom. And, and is it happening today? Was it happening then? Absolutely, it, it is. It's, these seven seals, I mean, it's distressing. It's difficult things. Martyrdom, sixth. I want to read this one. I watched as he, this is verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned to black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned to blood red, and the stars and the sky fell to the earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What's going on? There's cosmic collapse. Catastrophic events. Now, in Scripture, we find this in the Old Testament. We actually find this in the New Testament, too. You've, you've read, many of you, you've read some of this before. Where Why is the blood, you know, why is the moon and the sun always turning to blood red and stuff like that? What's going on? Uh, stars are falling from the sky. Everything's being shaken about what's, what's actually happening here. We find this throughout Scripture, sometimes in prophetic literature, sometimes in apocalyptic literature. It's a way of describing catastrophic events in history are occurring. Earth shattering events and as John who's beholding what he's seeing there he doesn't have adequate language to describe exactly what he's seeing and so he's he has to resort to apocalyptic prophetic ways of talking which include wild cosmic imagery and metaphor and we see this even occurring in Mark chapter 13 Jesus is walking through the temple he talks about it being destroyed one day, and his disciples say, like, when is that going to happen, Jesus? And he begins listing some indicators. One day this temple will be taken down. And we know historically that happened after Jesus said that in 70 AD. But as Jesus is describing some of the things that those disciples could anticipate in the decades in front of them before the temple was destroyed by Rome in 70 AD, he includes apocalyptic, vivid, prophetic language about the sun and the moon and the stars. He's using the same kind of language. Why? Because it's a, it's a cataclysmic historical event. And then we come to the seventh seal. And this happens in chapter 8, the first five verses. The seventh seal is opened. And maybe it comes you know, as a great relief to us. What is the first thing that occurs? Silence. Oh, Finally, you know, it's been a pretty noisy, difficult time. Silence occurs. And then, and I'm borrowing the language from someone else, a heaven quake. Listen to chapter 8, verse 5. It says this, after prayers were raised, 
There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The same kind of language appears here that appeared in Revelation chapter 4 when it's describing the powerful, majestic presence of God. And that each of the sevens in the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, this same kind of majestic presence and powerful acts of God seem to appear. So what is it? There's silence, then a heaven quake. What's going on in the seventh seal? There's silence, and then there's prayers, the, the prayers of the saints. Remember from chapter 5? We're still in chapter 5. We're seeing those prayers, the bowls of incense, now coming forward to the Father. And then what happens? A powerful, powerful response. Now, what's interesting, the first five, six seals, where is that all happening? Earth, right? Where are the first six seals happening? Earth. Where is the seventh one? Heaven. Now, as you look at the trumpet number seven, where does that occur? Also in heaven. Bowl number seven, where does that occur? In the temple in a heavenly realm. Um, and in each of those sevens, the trumpet and the bowl as well, there is a display of God's power. Remember the, the heaven quake scene that occurs. In the souls, there's prayer, then power. In the trumpets, there's worship, then power. And in the bowls, there's a declaration from God, and then power. Think of those three things. Prayer, worship, declaration, the power of words. Do you think your prayers matter? Do you think your prayers make a difference? This is one of the ways I'm convinced of it, that John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is repeating threefold through the sevens to the church that was under intense persecution and pressure in the early days, use your words for God's kingdom. Words have the power to make a difference on earth and in unseen realms, through prayer, through worship, through God's declaration. Use your words. Don't underestimate that what can happen as you worship God. Don't underestimate what can happen as you pray. Don't underestimate as you, what can happen as you engage the declarations of God through his word. Words change everything. So what is the message of the seven seals? And since there seems to be a seven seals angle and a seven trumpets angle and a seven bowls, angle of the same kind of things going on. What might the message of not just the seven seals be, but all the sevens, for that matter, chapter 6 through 20, it'd be this. And this is important. If there's one thing for you to grasp today, it's this. Because it is kind of complex and confusing heading into the weeds of the seven seals, isn't it? Here's what it is. The coming of Jesus and his kingdom is met with resistance and upheaval. But it ultimately leads to the culmination of all things. The end of Revelation isn't chapter 20. There is 21 and 22, the culmination of all things. But you and I are called to trust and to faithfulness in the midst of chapter 6 through 20 kinds of realities. What are those realities? Well, look at what those seven seals were like. Do we live in a world right now that's full of conquest, violence, oppression, death, martyrdom, and catastrophic events? Absolutely. How should we respond? Prayer. Prayer. Engaging the words of God, giving God our words, speaking our words into unseen realities, trusting that it can bring about 
what we're hoping for in Revelation 21 and 22. What's going on as the four horsemen of the apocalypse come into the scene? What's going on as all seven seals are being opened? Powerful reminders that while the king and his kingdom are coming towards the earth, remember the Satan factor? There are people who are resistant in their independence, and there's also an interfering source of darkness behind the scenes trying to puppet humanity. And humanity is still largely in partnership with who? God or the serpent? The serpent. And so when the incoming king and kingdom come towards this earth, is, is the Satan, is the serpent like, oh, sure, no problem. Friends, he's already defeated, but he's still resistant. And there is upheaval because he's not happy about the incoming king and his kingdom. Let me just try to illustrate it for you in a practical kind of way. Where's my Star Wars people at? Okay. I know I don't have to show you this. You've got it memorized already. But if you go through Star Wars material, um, in the original, the original movies... I have to really zoom in here. In The New Hope, which is the first real episode in Star Wars, um, we're introduced to Darth Vader very early on. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is the villain, right? And as we get through the first, you know, The New Hope, uh, we realize he's not completely dealt with yet, but uh, we've got got hope. And then um, The Empire Strikes Back. And we get, we're introduced to more bad news. It's not just Darth Vader. There's Emperor Palpatine. Um, and so Vader's a little bit of a puppet of a darker evil that's behind that. And thankfully, once we're done Return of the Jedi, they're dealt with. Now, what do we find? Even as you look at how Star Wars is laid out, there's the Age of Republic, then the Age of Rebellion, and the Age of Resistance. Um, Darkness appears to have been totally dealt with, but what is it that follows after victory? Resistance. Um, And even in the recent Star Wars films that came out in the last years, we can save our opinions for another time. Um, We're disappointed to find that even though Vader's been dealt with, Palpatine's been dealt with, now there's actually Supreme Leader Snoke. There's layers of darkness. Is it clear for the Star Wars people at least? Victory is followed by what? Resistance, upheaval. Um, World War II, it was very clear that World War II was gonna end, that it was ending, that all the parameters for it to end were in place in April of 1945. Did everything associated with World War II end April 1945? No. But the victory was sealed. The defeat was certain. But what happened? There was months. It took many, many, many months for what was already achieved in the name of victory to be implemented. Why? Because there was resistance and upheaval. Does that make sense? Something significant happened at the cross. The Lamb triumphed. What's going on right now? The seven seals paint a pretty awful picture, but it's real. It's what the church 2,000 years ago felt. It's what we face and feel in our world today. Resistance, upheaval. But Revelation doesn't end in chapter 20. We we find out there is an end to the work of 
the dragon. There is a finality to it, and there is a new creation and a new beginning that's coming. I want to just show you a picture of someone. Some of you may have picked up some of this in the news several years ago. This is Ho Van Lang. Ho Van Lang, he lives, lived in Vietnam. As a very, very young boy, in 1972, during the Vietnam War, his father took his son, pictured here, and escaped into the jungle because of the war that was going on. They had lost the rest of their family to bombing. In fact, well, there was one brother that was left behind and ended up surviving. But the two of them went off into the jungle and lived together in the jungle, assuming that the war was carrying on for 41 years. Hovan Lang's father, who was now in his 80s living in the jungle, became very, very sick, and so the son mustered up the courage to find his way towards civilization to see if he could get medical help for his dad, assuming the war was still on. He was finally coaxed in 2013 to come engage and live in society with everyone else. It was a very hard transition for him, understandably. He became, everybody. if you look him up online, everybody just says, this is the modern Tarzan. He found a way to live and do well. He, th he was thriving, living in the jungle. He hardly had any language skills at all. And the, think about it, living for decades, hiding in a jungle. Anytime they'd see a, hear a, a plane flying over, they just think this could still be part of the war. The good news had not yet reached them. And there are people in our world today, even in our church at times, who live as if we're, we've got to hide out in a jungle because did the lamb actually triumph? We're not sure. But friends, there is good news. The risen body of Jesus is the one bit of the physical universe that has already been set right. Jesus is therefore the one through whom everything will be set right. There is good news. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Death, evil, and sin are defeated. God's new world is coming. So at the heart of the matter, here's four things for us. Number one, the Lamb is on the throne. Amen? Number two, do you and I want his kingdom to come? Yes. It's hard. We have to acknowledge this, and this is the third thing. There will continue to be resistance and upheaval until the culmination of all things. The four living creatures representing creation and humanity all together saying, come, come. We know Jesus lives with us. He's always with us by his spirit in our lives. But we're praying for the lamb to come, return to earth fully and finally set up your kingdom here. Come, Jesus, come. And as we pray those kind of prayers, what does it welcome into our world? Unfortunately, the enemy sticks his heels in even harder. Resistance, upheaval, but he's a defeated enemy. So that leads us again I put it as a fourth point. It's just number one again. The lamb is still on the throne in spite of resistance, in spite of upheaval. The lamb is on the throne. And so the questions for you and I today, number one are this, will you trust the lamb? You and I are living in the reality of seven seals kind of difficulty right now, aren't we? We see it swirling around in our world right now, don't we? What is that? It's resistance, it's upheaval, because the king and his kingdom are pressing in towards earth. Will you trust the lamb in the midst of it? Will you remain faithful to the lamb in the midst of these times? Do you want his kingdom to come? 
professor of law at the government, uh, uh, sorry, professor of law and government at the University of Bordeaux, Jacques Ellieu, said this. I think it's fascinating. The Christian who prays acts more effectively and more decisively on society than the person who is politically involved. Do you think that might be some of what John was saying here too? Prayer than power, worship than power, declaration of God than power. Words matter immensely. I wonder if you would stand with me today. A lot of times as we conclude a service in this series, we sing and worship, but today I wonder if we could pray together. And I wonder if together we could pray our Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray. Could we follow along? You'll see it on the screen. Let's pause just for a moment and settle and still our hearts. Impacting and powerful things in the world occur when you and I pray. And it's part of the Lamb's move towards our world as he comes with his kingdom. Shall we pray? Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, I thank you for this family of faith that's been formed in Jesus Christ. We live in difficult and dark times. May we never underestimate what can happen as we pray, as we worship, as we engage your word declared through the scriptures. It's our heart's desire to see your kingdom come right here in the Comox Valley. As we go into this community, your mission field now, on your mission, we declare again our dependence upon you and our need for each other. We need the power of your spirit and we need, we need the togetherness that occurs in community all week long with this group that we're with today. Bless each, bless our homes, bless our lives. This is a dark world, but you've given us a great, great light. May we, may we bear it faithfully this week. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. As we conclude today, I'm gonna to call Pastor Clay to come forward. And if anybody does need prayer of any kind today, we'd be glad to pray with you. Be blessed as you head into God's world on his mission. Great things are occurring. Great things. Keep praying. Keep trusting him. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.